Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's the host of the Something on My Mind podcast, author and financial coach. It's David Malonis. How are you doing today, David? Hey, good, Alex. Thanks for having me on, buddy. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do first is go right to the end. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Uh, I am outside. I'm outside of Detroit, roughly 35, 40 miles. It's in a city called West Bloomfield. Uh, Lots of lakes out here. Um, We drive between lakes a lot. So, you know, it's in Michigan. You can go anywhere within six miles and hit water. Um, Whereas you can go to Arizona and you might not find it <laughs> really a lake. So where I know, I, I actually think we're a little spoiled out here with that. Um, and so what did growing up? So what did I do growing up? That's a question. So, um, boy, I was just writing about that. Actually. Um, I, it was writing about a point of, um, you know, I'm able to say this, you know, I'm 51 now and, um, growing up is so much different than it is today. Um, you know, you would basically, uh, go out and have to find things to do. The, the technology was different. So like we had rotary phones and if you dialed it with numbers at eight, nine or zero, you probably took three tries just to get it dialed right. Cause you screwed up the, the pattern. Right. And we, you know, listen to records on turntables and uh, look at the album covers. And, and it was the cool thing to get the answering machine. It was like, wow, look at an answering machine or I can have a CD player and I can go to hit any song I want to listen to. And there's no skipping. And, um, you know, if you had a piece of crap car, it broke down, you walk to the exit. There's no cell phone. So um, I'm like in the middle of the, uh, I'm not a baby boomer, but I'm like on the cusp of old school and new school. So I grew up enough old school with grandparents that built everything from their hands, you know, worked in a, in a um, coal mine at 14, never went to school um, and built everything with his hands and learned how to do things and manage things and um, uh, be very self-independent. Um, uh, and so that's probably where it's led me today in my career. A lot of it has to do with that. Um, but growing up, um, you know, I learned a lot from him. I had, grew up in a divorced family, you know, but what did I really do? Um, not a lot of nothing. A lot of, um, I've developed myself into a jack of all trades. So it's very beneficial. Even my career has been like that, but it's also, you know, has its uh, limitations sometimes. Um, so yeah, there's nothing that I probably can't figure out how to do. If I don't, I'll find a way to do it or I'll make sure I get to somebody who does. I don't sweat. Like the lawnmower breaks, I just think I can go, you know, assess it and fix it, even though that might not be true in a sense. Um, um, but I'm a guy who soaks up a lot of knowledge of whatever. I look up things probably six times a day randomly just because. So I'm like a good guy. I'm good at Jeopardy. I just want to know things, touch things, feel things. I'm very efficient. I think about the environment a lot. Um, trying to think, you know, about waste and consumption and getting the value out of things in life and purpose, you know, and that's what happens. I think is again, as you age being 51, when you're 30, 35, um, you're thinking more, maybe if you have a family, which many people do, you're thinking more career and what am I going to do and how much money can I make? And I got to jump up the ladder and, you know, you'd like to think by 30, you have things figured out and to a certain degree, but even now with today's kids, um, you know, a lot of them live at home, even at 29, because of a lot of things in the, in the, the pandemic. And then it's hard for people to go on their own now. So things are a lot different now. So I could go out as a kid. Um, I left the house at 19. I could just get a job with no degree at the time and support myself. And a lot of people used to be able to go work some kind of manufacturing job and have a middle-class family with no education. So everything's different. So it's kind of a long-winded answer, but, um, you know, I guess in terms of, you know, where I am today, um, I, uh, I have a couple degrees. 
have a, ma- a bachelor's and a master's. I have a published author. Um, I have another ebook coming out. We have another book Cindy and I are writing. Um, I've always been great with money. And so I've been doing that on the side. So basically kind of the jack of all trades thing, but I keep myself relevant so that I can find something that I want to do or a side hustle that makes me money. And I've been doing that ever since uh, before side hustles were a term. So just, you know, always staying active, always have something to do, always having relevance. You mentioned being the jack of all trade. Do you think that you maybe should have picked something or that you could follow and have a passion for? Or do you feel that you wanted that kind of advantage to know a little bit about everything just in case you needed to use that knowledge in the future? It's probably a twofold thing. One is, yeah, I'm very curious. I always want to know things. Um, If I care, you have to care about something, first of all, are you wasting your time? That's why when people go to school for calculus, don't put them in calculus if they don't want to do it, that our school system doesn't work that way. Um, on the other hand, I probably didn't have enough direction. Um, you know, you know, and when you always look back, you're like, well, you know, hindsight's easy. I, I was always interested in like medicine. I like biology. I like the environment. Um, so like I can run, I run the medical category in Jeopardy for example, which means nothing, <laughs> but it means I care enough to look stupid shit up just so I can answer a question because I think I find it, I find the body fascinating. Um, it's a computer that runs on its own yet. We can control some of it. And then when we don't feel like controlling it, it does it for ourselves anyway. And how did it get there? And we don't understand it. It's fascinating. Um, so yeah, that's probably part of the problem is, and that was, but I was so independent. I never went away to school and I could have, I moved out right away and I didn't get a degree until I was 26. And then I got my second degree at 40, which was tough being a single parent, um, living that lifestyle. And so, you know, should I have done things a little bit differently, but I've been a more probably career oriented and focused and probably, um, I know, cause I worked a lot of contract jobs in my life, which pays really well, but I moved around from, you know, 12 months at a time, 14 or eight, whatever, and making really good money, but I didn't stay in a place long enough to build roots. And that's the Jack of all trades things again, a little bit. And, um, now I, I've shifted that focus a bit, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, I'm more of a kind of a millennial way of doing things early on, but this, it's not always the best thing. So I make sure as a parent that, um, you know, we help our kids define maybe what they want to do with certain st- structured paths of things that they at least keep on the rails until they figure out exactly what they ultimately do because this world's so open these days. You remember the one moment that you kind of found environmental kind of that that science way that you enjoyed because you talked about how you were one as you gotten older that you've looked up things you kind of learned more about it like running the jeopardy board like i can't do that subject that was not my favorite but what was the big thing that kind of found your passion for that i can't really think of a big thing but i but i remember being young where if something my grandfather, going back to him, if something were to break, can I fix it? Mm. And the answer is most of the time you can. Now, did he rig some things? Yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't mean that's always the right answer. But because I learned how to do things with my hands and physically make something work as long as you could, it's kind of like having your old baseball mitt. I still have my baseball mitt. I have a pair of shoes that is last, a pair of flip-flops I've had for eight years and I love them and I won't get rid of them until they, until they fall into pieces. Right. I love things that you can hang on with. They have a memory and a part of, I'm, I'm put it this way. It's the quality aspect of things. You mm-hmm. want to make things last long and get the most out of it. And if it satisfies the need, why do you need to go any further? And I think people miss that point in life. Sometimes you don't need, it's like buying anything that's like a Sony. 
Now, Sony has all these bells and whistles on the product, but you don't use but 20% of them. Now, you could buy another product, pay less, and have some of the bells and whistles, and you'd be cool with it. You wouldn't know the difference. Um, but I will say that that mindset, since it's always been there, once this recycling thing started to happen, and then you know, just watching as the years went by with the plastic especially, and people don't realize oil like dominates the world. Petroleum is in, in so many things, like in rugs, in clothes, um, in plastics, of course. And that's the base part of plastic is petroleum. It's a, po- a polymer. And, and um, it's more of, it just drives me crazy that we don't do anything except when it's like a reactionary thing. We don't proactively do things in this country yet. We have all, all the answers almost typically there for all the world's problems. Um, but I don't want to get into the political money side of things, but that's what gets in the way. But I felt like, well, you know, we always drive this on our show. If you're going to, and I do a tip every week, like a two minute tip, you may have listened, maybe not, but you know, anytime where I find a product or something that works and it, and it can help the environment, we, we talk about it and it, we're not promoting any, we're not paid to do that. I don't want to get paid to do it. But the thought is if I can get a product that will last longer and it'll always save me money in the long run, sometimes even up front, <clears throat> then why not do it? Mm-hmm. So we've done things like, uh, let's say, like a, a USB lighter. That's an arc lighter. It lasts fifty thousand lights. So you don't be you'll be you don't need big lighters. You should be not not rinsing your dishes. You should wash your dishes in your dishwasher every night until it fills. You, you don't need to waste the water. You're, you're wasting four times as much water, or, or at least fifty percent to hundred percent somewhere in there. I forget the ratio. Then it is to wash them in the dishwasher. If you cut your wicks down in your candles for you light them, you're going to get half fifty uh, percent more up to the life on the candle itself of, of the burning time. Like it's like that kind of mentality that my brain works at. And as you keep getting more and more into it, the next product you buy, I'm like, well, I want to make sure it has the least amount of plastic in it. Can I get something in a stainless steel? Can I get something that's made out of silicone? And the thing is, is you do save money. That's the thing. Like you don't have to repeat the product. And I would say 90% of the times, whatever I say that I think is cool to tell somebody, it's, it's usually um, beneficial right off the bat in terms of cost. I think something that you talked about is, you're not like telling people what to do. You're just giving your kind of point of view or your kind of experience. And maybe someone that's listening is thinking about the same thing and you might've sparked an idea for them to try or something that they can go buy and see what they're doing or what it's saving and things like that. But that's kind of how we are. We're not telling people how to live their lives. We're just giving a point of view or something that maybe people can relate to in a way and kind of a different side of it. Yeah, I mean, people um, like with our show, for example, we 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 talk about our blended family. When it comes up, we talk about the relationship that Cindy and I have. You know, we're actually that's a book we're working on right now. Is our story? I met her with negative twelve hundred dollars in the bank. You talked to her, yep. and now we're multimillionaires. And it's not because we're multimillionaires that I have to say that. It's more of we did it and built up from so many ways and it's with so many challenges in the middle. And now I just I got a new challenge in life that I found out about, which maybe we'll talk about, but. Um, shit happens to everybody, but the point is, um, you got to keep working at it. And, um, you know, people like real stories. So anything, again, we talk about when we might not even in the show, we we're very engaging. It's people we meet in public. We like to speak in public when we can, and we're getting more into that. We do it at work, whatever is that? Yes. Um, if, if you can tell somebody honestly, how you feel about something and look at it both ways, that's important. And then if I can give you information that might if one person grabbed it out of this show today and likes this show and listens to my podcast, basis, they got a tip, then I'm cool with that. Um, but yeah, they, and it's kind of like 
when I work with somebody and their budgets or something on the, you know, we do side work or whoever we can help out, we do it. We don't even do this for monetary value. That's not our goal is that people want to feel part of the answer. So even when they come to you and say, all right, I need this help. My budget sucks. And it's like, okay, well, you're going to, you're going to pay me to help me with my budget. Okay. And I was like, now that person already knows that their credit card debt is horrible as an example. Or they know they're spending a $800 a month on clothes and they know that's wrong. Okay. Well, they already know that. So I'm not going to beat them up for that. I'm going to point out like, hey, we know, like we agree this is probably not the best path. This isn't a good decision, right? Yes. I'm not going to beat you up like that. Maybe like a Dave Ramsey would. That's his motto. I'm going to be like, okay, we agree upon that. Now what are we going to do to fix it? And as you go through the whole problem or the process of, of whatever this is, um, you could just say, this is how I think you should do it and hand it over. But rather than doing that, I'd rather have go through these things and ask you questions and make you answer some of these things for yourself. So mm-hmm. then when it's all said and done, you were part of that process. When, when people feel like they're part of the solution and they had a, um, a voice in the process, you get much better results out of them. When you were making that decision to move out and not go to college right away, did your family support you or was it kind of something that you had to convince them that this is the direction and laid out what you were going to do? No, just we, my brother and I just both bolted. Um, they moved out. We had a house, a night, a house in a very nice sub and they moved somewhere else and they were off. My mom and stepdad were just, um, just doing their thing. And, um, we moved and my brother both got an apartment and which is, that was just it. Um, that was pretty much basically the, the answer. So, um, there's not much to it than that. We just did it. Were you ready for that real life, real world kind of experience and living on your own and not under the roof of your family? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was, I'm independent to start with. And granted, when you get out on your own, there's things you have to learn. It's not like I had it all figured out. Um, but I was prepared money wise. I knew I had the money to do it. I made sure I was always good with money. So I knew I could afford my bills and do such things. Um, and I had a lot of fun, you know, instead of going to college, I went to visit at college and we had our own parties and we partied and did our things. And, um, you know, should I've gotten on my, my ass, uh, off my ass a little quicker to get my schooling done? Yes. But I was always working. I worked on my first job. I was 14 stocking a produce, um, at three in the morning at a, you know, at a local market. And I didn't like that, but you learn that, you know, work means something. And like with our kids, when our kids worked, it wasn't during school. School was important. But when you had time to work, um, they stopped asking for money because they realized the value of things. And so um, did we, you know, at least for the things that they should learn to pay for um, makes a huge difference. And that so I had that lesson as a kid. And so when I got out on my own, I was like, all right, I got this handled. And you find and so you found ways to be savvy along the time of being a kid, like because of the work. Um and so it just carries over because once you institute those kind of good practices, you you rarely fail in anything, whatever those practices are, to be honest. What was that job that you took that kind of made you feel like, okay, I'm going somewhere. I'm going in the direction that I feel like I should be going in. Um, I was, I got a job um, at one of the auto companies that was my first contract job, but I was working just working jobs, you know, getting through my school. So, cause I had a, uh, I got married at 27. I finished college at 26. Then I had a kid at 29. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I was making, okay, I was making fine money that was working for a 
transportation company prior, but when I went to this contract job, but it, um, the money just went up so much bigger. And I went again, working for like a big corporation was a big thing for me, which was an adjustment because it was more of companies like this weren't structured like that. The layers and the size of management and, and the size of the buildings and the people and the layers was just, you know, red tape was not something on the scale that I had dealt with before. Um, so, and also it was really cool because you got to do things corporately that you couldn't do with companies that were smaller in scale. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're kind of feeling like, well, I've, I may, I'm not saying I hit the big time, but this is going to uh, open up some doors for me to get to some bigger places um, that um, I w- otherwise probably wouldn't have done. I would have stayed some other place and just stayed there. And, um, you know, variety in your life and job and options are a big thing. So that I'm, I'm grateful for. Did you prefer the contract job more than like a physical, like corporate job or working with a company? I did for the money. The money for contract pays a lot more because um, basically either you go independent like a 1099 or you work through a a contract house or whatever. So like, uh, let's say the company A, let's say it's Ford Motor in that case. Ford Motor goes to a contract house and says, I need um, some other company says, go find me some people. And so they're getting, let's let's say they're getting $100 an hour. And then I hire on with this company and they're going to get uh, or I'm going to get, let's say I get, they give me 50. I don't know. So that's their cut. And that's how that's a very basic model that works. Now, some of these will provide benefits, you know, 401k vacation, some don't. So I could opt and say, I want a higher rate for no vacation. I, I, when I take time off, I pay for it. You don't pay me. So these are all these negotiable things that um, you can do. Um, you know, as I, as I did it longer and had more experience, I was able to command definitely more money. Um, if I went back today, I could go make another hundred thousand dollars on what I'm even making right now because the rates are so high during the pandemic and they can't find people. I got people, my phone rings off the hook and um, I don't want to go back and do that. And the money's great. I just, I just took a job recently and I'm only planning on working for a couple more years anyway. So I'm not going to hop and do that. It's not my thing. I will tell you this working contract is beneficial again for the money and the variety. Cause you move around a lot of places. You get a lot of environments, a lot of cultures, a lot of technologies. I'm, I'm in it. And um, it makes you very well-rounded and makes uh, allows for, um, again, keeping you relevant. And the bad side is you don't plant roots or, you know, the seeds don't grow. And so your relationships are limited. And sometimes even if the one, I was at a job, it's happened where you've actually, you're outperforming the actual people who work there. And if that happens, they'll dump you. And other than contract jobs, they can just dump you when they want it. It's a contract for X amount of time, but they have the right to pull it just like at will work if you're an employee. And so I had one job that I was making the probably the most money I ever have. And they were basing everybody on all these new metrics and all these numbers. And I was number one in every category and everybody knew it. I had the most projects, I had the most hours and made the most money, even though there's no comparison everybody just knew that. And so when I, that guy said, you're going to cut you. And I'm like, you sure? I have all this work, blah, blah, blah. And and he basically looked at me and goes, I know you can find a job, you know, right away, you know, because he didn't want to pay anymore and I can't make people look bad. So um, that can happen. There's some goofy things, man. Um, but if you want to work a long time and get to know some people and also, you know, being homegrown allows you opportunity to grow with an organization to get bigger jobs and make more money from a salary scale for sure and get titles and do these things. You can't get that out of a contract job. It doesn't exist. You're there for a specific period of time to do one thing like the cleaner and uh, Pulp Fiction. 
you know, Mr. Wolf, right? Nice work, comes in, cleans the car up, pays the guy, you know, Tarantino for the sheets and he's out. That's kind of what a contract worker does. See, I've never experienced a contract work, but I'm also one of those people that I'm like, kind of want that security. But you just said the at will, it's kind of similar where these people can, they can basically fire you in a second with no reason, just like the contract, they can just drop you and then you got to move on to the next. But I definitely see that people have their reasons for that. But was it hard not having that passion for what you were doing because you know that it only lasted a certain amount of time? Um, it's not so much the passion, but I will tell you that you get to that point of, well, my contract's going to be up. Uh, they bring in, are they going to extend you? Yeah, your nay. And, um, you know, you always have to go through that process again. And if they're not, then you got to go look for another job again. That's, that's the pain in the ass is going to find another job. Can I find one? Do I always find one? Yeah. Am I employable? Absolutely. But the process is another thing that just gets so long on the tooth that you just, you just, you don't want to do it. It's not, it's not fun. Now there are some places if you get where you can be, uh, keep your same role and you can work contract year after year after year. Some of those models are like that at certain organizations that haven't set up like Volkswagens, I think is one of them. For some reason here, local is, uh, you, uh, for some reason, Volkswagen, if you want to work there for years under the same model, get paid pretty well. I've had calls about that job before, then, you know, you can do that. But I don't think, I think that's not the, the norm. Um, maybe it is in other states, but here in Michigan, um, no. Um, but I suspect, you know, contract jobs are everywhere, like in the corporate world, and they're meant not to keep somebody as an employee. So because me as an employer, I can go, listen, I can just pay a rate. And I don't have to pay, I don't have to worry about, um, uh, I don't have to worry about matching. As an employer, you got to match Social Security and Medicare, mm-hmm. no matter what. So that's 7.65% on top of what you'd have to pay twice. So like you, if you're even as a business owner, a small guy like me, like a, I have a subcorp S, um, if I have an employee, I have to go pay that person um, to match the tax. Even as an individual, if I'm paying myself. That's why I created a subcorp S for a pass-through so I can eliminate at least the first set of taxes and not get doubled up on it. So the corporations have to pay that. They pay it, they pay um, into like disability, right? Um, things like, like that. They're in there. And first of all, employees are the number one labor is the number one cost of any business outside of like office equipment, you know, plants, buildings, things like that. It's your labor. So yeah, they don't want to do that. So they can just pay a rate and keep people churning in then they'll do that for certain jobs because it's probably just a financial model that suits them better. Early in your career, what's the biggest skill that you learned about yourself throughout that journey? Uh, the biggest skill is getting in front of people more often, being able to present, um, get into large crowds or work on large, like large scale projects. Like when you when I was with the autos, you build a car. Um, when they released like the Thunderbird in 2002 again, um, it was from the retro car from 1955. That was like a $30 million project or something, which is not large uh, by those standards. And there wasn't a lot of people on it. And I was with the boss who was a, uh, pretty much the only mentor I've ever had. And um, I got to go to all the giant meetings and be involved in that. And I, you know, I was more of like, putting presentations together and speaking a few times on some things that wasn't really my role in terms of speaking about the management of things, but, but I learned. And then I came up with an idea one time and um, you know, for like a a website that would solve a lot of their problems 
And I got to go in front of the vice presidents and pitch a project one time and got funding for something that a contractor would almost never get. And, and I got the money and approved and it kept me there for a long time at that company um, until I just left. Even when they were fire, letting people left and go left and right, they reorged every two months for a while back in the days of the autos and I was still there. And um, that, that alone did well for me. And to this day, what I built still there, when I understand. So it's kind of cool. But that's where I learned where hard work does pay off. You have, if you want to make it typically in this world, like people think differently now where, um, and I don't know the percentages, but the world is different with technology now. People work from home and the side hustle, you know, can I do a couple of jobs instead of this or that? Or I don't want to be in an office, which even the, the adults like me and whatnot um, within my age range, if you ask them, I think at minimal, they would love the hybrid model because mm-hmm. once they get there, they're not, we're not much different when they started. Millennials aren't much different than uh, people think than we are. There are definitely some differences in generation, but when it comes down to it, I think a lot of us are more the same than you think. Um, so they like those conveniences. So it's um, just make sure, you know, before you like classify a group, you should look into it before you really make that ultimate decision. Well, I love how, like with the classifications of people like millennial, Gen Z, boomers, all that, they kind of just group everyone into it. Like whatever you are, you have to be like that, or you are going to respond like that. And it's kind of like each person representing that class is something different. You just have to figure out that person and they will tell you what they want and or what they're thinking and stuff. Cause I'm a Gen Z, but I don't act like a Gen Z sometimes. Like I might be different on my work ethic and stuff. And you kind of mm-hmm. mentioned that similar similarities between the classes, but they're still their own individual uniqueness in a way. You know, um, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, right? Yep. My wife's company, you know, Cindy, um, they work with him. And he's oh, been on cool. some. Yeah. And they have high net worth clients and not to say who they are, but but he's they, they've been they have a couple of uh, videos on the internet or YouTube, so it's it's there. Like he's talked before, but um, they had uh, we had a grand opening event in the summer, and the one thing you know he was on there speaking, and the one thing he said was, you know, back in the day with people like doing media, right? All that kind of, maybe just lump it into one category. It's like back in the day, I, you know, maybe I, I could pay somebody thirty five grand a year to do it. Now I, I got I got to pay a hundred hundred fifty thousand for people to do this kind of work, and even with mm-hmm. media production is large. So the landscape is changing. He's like, and then some of these people don't want to work five days a week, but if they're all saying that, then I got to pay them that and let them have flexible schedules. So it does show you that it, it, culture is an interesting thing. There's a word called regardless, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a word called irregardless. And that's like a double negative. It's not really a word, but people keep saying it enough. And if you look up in the dictionary, there's now you'll see an example where you can accept irregardless as a word. And it's like, it's not a word. The culture changed that. So what is that? In other words, like verbiage, 99% of people never say verbiage. They say verbiage. And even if you tell them, they say verbiage. And eventually, if no one knows the difference, they're just going to say verbiage and accept it when they don't even know it's verbiage. So, you know, these are loose examples. But when it comes to, um, I think, you know, I know we're talking about like, you know, the eyes and mindset of the working world a little bit here, but um, I, you know, things still have to be made. So whether it's China or Vietnam or whoever's, you know, making most of these things that we ship 95% of what exists in our country, we get it from other places. But even if that were to ever change, you still have to build things, but it's not us doing it. In this country, we're a service economy mainly. 
and we actually suck at customer service. It's just really funny. You can't get anybody on the phone anymore. A major company, you have to go find somebody who did the digging in the internet to give you the 800 number because you can't get to somebody. It's just a different way of thinking. And so when you're allowed to be more fluid and flexible, and the more that we can live and work from home rather than coming into a physical location, um, I think that it seems like you're doing less in some ways, but um, our world is about media and marketing more than it's ever been. It, yep. it, social media has changed the entire life. Marketing is more important than it's ever been. I totally agree with that. Did your career ever take over your life where it affected your personal life in a way? Um, yeah, there were times where some of these projects, it was working a lot of hours. Um, if you have to do, and really when I really got steeped in IT, if you work some long hours, you, you know, they do, you know, releases in the evening off hours. And if something doesn't go right, then you have to spend time until it's fixed. Um, yeah, I will say that, um, you know, there's a difference when you're working a lot of hours in a stretch of time and you can, you can just feel it on your body. Right. Or it's like, Hey, like it's 10 o'clock at night and you get a chill out and you can just, you know, you want to go crack a beer and chill and relax for a minute. And you can just feel like that wave of pressure on your body and the stress. And that's, um, it's significantly different than someone saying I had a, like a tough eight hour day as opposed to somebody who knocked out 12 or 13 and does it consistently. You can definitely feel the difference and it's not healthy. Was that something that you kind of maybe regretted was working those long or uh, hours or was that something that had to be done for that project since you were in those contract jobs? Yeah, just for that project uh, or projects per se. Um, Cindy, she does, Cindy C-Suite, she does, a, she works a ton of hours at times. So we we live it all the time in this house. It's just not me doing it as much. And I work from home. So you know, I can knock out a lot of the things that she doesn't ha- wouldn't have to do. Is we, we're very team oriented in this house. We have a great marriage, but I can sweep the floor and do the laundry and, and clean those things. No one cleans at least once a day, and cleaning something that no one would ever see, but I clean it. And uh, um, I can get dinner set up, and I can go run errands if I need. So it's a different dynamic. But there, has it impacted our life uh, from her end? Yeah, absolutely. There are times where it's like she's just worn and stressed out. Um, and you know, the good side is you get a lot of perks with it and we make a lot of money together. We do really well. So on that side, if you're going to work, then save your money and invest it so that we can get out early. That's what we're, and that's what we're working on doing now. So that's the good side. Um, and yeah, you can't beat the perks. We've, we have been able to do some things that people never get to do in life. And so it's cool, but I will tell you this, um, uh, we would gladly give all that up. That's not that important to get the perks to outweigh, you know, the, the hours that have to be put in sometimes um, for her, especially. As we talked about, your wife, Cindy, was a previous guest on my show. When you guys met and you kind of talked about your guys' experience, did that strengthen your bond that you had where you could relate a little bit to what each other was going through and kind of be able to be a full force together? Yeah, hundred percent. I would, I'm going to go right off the bat and say that a key to a successful marriage, in our opinion, um, is you have to have common goals. We're not mm. the same people, but our common goals are always there. That's why we succeed. We're as successful as any couple that I know. And I don't mean, and we're not any better than anybody else. Cause you know where we came from. We came, she came from dirt and I didn't have much to start with either, but I was in a better position than she was, um, by, by on many fronts. Um, and that's, you know, getting back to that's where we started. So one being single parents, 
Um, we both had custody. My, I ended up, I had like 86, 90% of custody. She had pretty much all of it. Um, and so right off the bat, we both, I knew what it was like as a man to be a single parent. I was the guy who knew all the women in latchkey or the events and not. And so when I met her, all, all my friends were women because in a time to do much else or hang out with guys. And so we understood each other very well there. And that was a unique proposition for us to get out of it. Um, I was very good with money. Um, even though I ran in, you know, I had some problems with my divorce and I got wiped out in the financial crisis because I had to sell my house with the values going down and just, it wiped out a lot of my shit. And, um, so I understood where she was coming from, but she was also, as you know, abused mentally, physically, verbally, she was homeless for a little while. I mean, just, and she had the, you know, she got screwed and had to file bankruptcy and play alimony. So, um, I just, whatever reason it was, I, I don't, I never passed judgment on someone's financial situation regardless. And so I just looked at her and, and like what I saw more than thinking about anything else. But as we got going, it's like, okay, we understand the kid thing. Um, so then, all right, let's clean up financially. And so she's like, oh shit, this guy wrote a book. He's legit. He's on Google. All right. <laughs> and I got published for real back in the day. It was a real publishing house and didn't sell a ton, but it was hard to get published. So that was legit. So it's like, all right. All right, let's break out the bank statements. So we ripped all that out. It's like, all right, well, let's start building our plan. And what are we going to do here? Like, we both know we're good. We both know we're smart enough. We know we are engaging enough. What are we going to do with the from here on out? Because when you're starting at 40 and 44, kind of starting over in a lot of ways, at least with a nest egg, you know, that's a daunting thing, which even though most people live their life like that with little to no any net worth, it, it's crazy. Um, so... We built her career and we, and I said, listen, man, you're too good at what you do. Like she's a unique bird in her field and they're starting to recognize women more. I think that, you know, the number one thing we should work on to put time in is to your career. And she did. And she went through management and got her ass kicked for a couple of years, but was managing 80 people in I don't know, six branches. And then she wasn't getting where she wanted to be. So she went over to the independent practice where she is today and she works with all these amazing clients and, um, you know, she works for like, he's the number one independent broker in, in uh, the state of Michigan and Forbes. He's, I mean, they're, it's serious deal. So she's put herself from, from where she was to breaking the glass ceiling. And so, yes, as the, the hours bad as we just mentioned, yes, but she's really made a great accomplishment. And I'm just giving you the bridge version, but um, it's our goals. It's always the goals, man. Like, do we agree on the goals and how are we going to get there? And we don't, we don't write a vision board and say, we got to do this within a couple of years, but we kind of say, we think this is what's going to happen over the next year or two that we feel that we're going to go knock out. And that also meant with parenting decisions and um, you know, uh, you know, what are the, some of the things we want to do in terms of traveling or what do we want to take the kids or what do we need to do individually? And you know, what kind of hobbies do we want? We make sure that we have variety in our life. We don't always do the same thing and we just keep moving and moving and moving. And we've, Matt found some other ways to make money, um, kind of, you want to kind of side hustle ish. And then we did this podcast back in 2020 and we built this amazing studio down here and, and, you know, we we're able to do something to give back. We don't even try to make money on it yet. We're pretty highly rated. We don't even try. So we put ourselves in a spot to actually just do things where now we can just kind of glide into our next move, give back more and just, you know, realize that, you know, we've, Started from somebody at negative $1,200 and we've eaten dinner in billionaires' homes. We've seen it all. So we don't pass judgment. We just want to say, what can we do to give you information? And if we get someone wants to listen to our story, we're going to tell you and maybe something will inspire you. 
Were your kids at the age when you were a single parent to understand what was happening? And did you try not to show the struggles that may have been happening, but be open with them so that they could understand what was happening? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And I think the number one parent thinks parents, um, parents, one thing if I went back and did it again, I might be a divorce attorney because I'd like to be able to mediator with that is where parents, they, they use the kids against themselves or usually one person's better out of a marriage to just a simple fact. And, um, you know, my ex-wife was not happy with things and or I, I left her, um, she just was not a happy person in a good place to do things, to be honest. And that's, and there was nothing feral, physical abused, nothing like, nothing like that. And, um, you know, my son was only shoot seven by the time we were done. And so what happens though, is that when life goes, so like one rules, don't bad mouth, but like, you know, you, all you can say to your kid is like, we're just, you might not understand, but you know, we're not, uh, sometimes you play with a kid in the sandbox and now you don't play with them anymore. Like there's, he moved or something happened, or uh, maybe he likes to go play on the tire swing now. And I, and I, you don't, you start out simple and as things go on and you see examples, eventually you can't lie or hide. Mm -hmm. So you don't really try to do that. You try to just say in a creative way when a situation comes up because they, they get wise to things quick and you try not to say in a bad mouthing way. And then when there's things that were uncouth, it's pretty obvious. And you just kind of, kind of glaze over it a little bit because he would know, or the other, the kids know. And the, um, Cindy's kids, um, with their father, he's, we, I don't even know last time we've seen that him physically at all. I don't, we don't know where he is and where he lives. So, you know, I just think you, that's the approach we took. And that's the approach I would recommend to people. If you badmouth each other to your, with your kids as crutches, that is just not a formula for, for success. And if one's just not executing on their end, the kids are going to know, and you don't have to say much about it. The kids will just know. And if they feel bad about it, you can say, I'm sorry, this is happening. Um, and then we never prevented our kids from seeing their parents either. If they wanted to see them, they could. And that way they felt like we weren't holding them back. See, I can relate to your kid or your son because I come from divorced parents, but I was such at a young age that I kind of lived just through them being divorced, but they kind of had that same mentality where they didn't badmouth each other in front of me because they didn't want any drama or when you go to that person's house, you hear a bunch of things about the other person, but they were able, able to coexist with each other for the better of me in a way. And it kind of shows as I got older, you kind of learn more and more about what's going on. And then you have a better understanding of what was happening at that time. But they still are the same way that they are today, even though I'm not even living at any of one's house. But it definitely shows that if whatever needs to be best for the children or best for the parents, that it's going to happen. Um, sometimes it doesn't work that way. I mean, we see TV shows, movies, media, social media, everything goes crazy when things just start getting out of control in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, no one wants to split time between parents, but I think ideally if you wrote it on paper and say, well, I'm 50, 50, that's what you want on both parents because they're equally willing. Let's, let's just say it's in the ideal play mold that they're both really into the kids and they um, actually um, want to do it. Yeah. Um, like in my case, or Cindy's like my case, it was the right thing to do. So that's just the way I looked at it, but you're right. Um, and you know, the other thing people miss about that is that <clears throat> even if someone has more custody than somebody else, you can see them even more than 50% per se, because they do activities. You can go to the dance recital yep. or the baseball game, or, you know, like I used to play, sometimes I play black ops with, with my son. <laughs> 
you know, and I wasn't, my, my KDR was horrible. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like half percent, 0.05 or something. But I did, I did commit one time where I'm, I'm going to play um, Nuke, Nuketown for a, a, an hour a night for a month. I'll go up there and play with him on my, on my gamer tag. And um, I did improve greatly, but it takes so much work. <laughs> but he, <laughs> but he, his friends thought it was cool that I played as a, as a 40 year old. And uh, what my point is, is that as long as you're in communication with your children, even if you're not seeing them and not burdening them, but if you're around to call them on their birthdays or the holidays or come to those events, whatever matters to them, and you're around on those other times, you know, they remember that because even when your parents are um, together and, and uh, just because parents are together doesn't mean their marriages are great. I mean, we're not, we don't live in a happy world, but you know, you don't sit there and say, well, I spent eight hours with my dad, you know, um, doing this or that. You just remember that he was at the baseball game or mm-hmm. he went to a baseball game or something like that. And so it, whether you're married or not, that's what kids remember. I remember my mom making this, you know, strudel that I liked, whatever. That's what you bring back. You don't say that, you know, well, I'd spend it for eight hours. So the, like battling between custody and hours, you know, if you're, a, if you're a good parent, you'll get your equal time at minimal, and then you can work the rest of that out later. If someone's reading one of your books, what's the biggest message you're wanting them to get out of reading it? Um, like the one we're writing now, Cindy and I, it's our, it's our story. For example, I'll use that one, um, more than anything, even the other one I wrote, and I have some manuscripts that are still floating, but, um, like my writing style is very, like, I, again, I want to give you information and, and you can go use it to your benefit. So like, um, with this current thing we're working on now, um, it is our story. And, um, we like to say the first one we're going to write is we're just going to tell you how we did it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a tough read. It's not um, going to have a lot of sorrow. It's not going to have a lot of, um, you know, it'll mention some of like Cindy's beginning, but that'll be a whole nother, that's a whole nother book on its own. But, you know, we kind of started from where we started at age 40 and 44 when we met and where what state she was in. It's like an I am David, I am Cindy book. It goes pretty much goes back and forth. And then there'll be some things in the middle where the group of texts is just like um, about just us talking as, as a, uh, a unit. And that's, you know, that's the style that we're working on. And just so you can kind of hear us talking as if we're on the show and say, hey, this is how we did, blah, 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 blah. We want you to feel like you're having a beer with us. And like, um, I feel comfortable. And I think that's most people, how people feel about us. You know, we're pretty engaging. That's what we try to send off. And, um, you know, the message is, yeah, what can I take from this? And we feel that, you know, are we doing something no one else has done before? Probably not. Probably everybody's done it um, to some shape or form, but can you get a nugget out of there? And can you do something with it? Isn't it easy read? And that's what you want. You don't want it to be long. You want it to be easy read. And, you know, it's just, you want something to be relatable. And that's, that's the message that we're giving. That's that simple. Do you feel that your show was a big factor in writing the book? Because people are listening to you guys talk to each other, engage with each other, but this book is going to be able to get dive down deeper and for f- listeners to kind of learn more about you guys as two people together, married and as individuals also telling your story. Yeah, absolutely. Cause what we, and the show stuff comes out as quips sometimes, or, Hey, I was in this spot related to the topic. And, you know, again, you know, you've listened, we have our round table every week in the beginning and it's just bullshitting about whatever. It's the funnest, like it's the funnest part of the show. <laughs> so you don't have to do any notes or scripting for the most part. You just talk and people, people like that more than anything we've been told. 
but yes. Um, yeah, basically that's, that's the answer is that, um, you'll get a deeper dive into, I guess if you like us, then you'll want to read the book per se in theory, because you're going to get the whole breakdown of how we did it. That gives us credibility to be on the show, talk, talking to you. There's anything in finance we pretty much can't talk about. So why, why can we talk about it and what did we do to get there? So it's a maturation process where when we first met, um, we knew that we'd be doing greater things at some point and we wanted a message to give out to the world, but we didn't know that as much until we cleaned up some things and became more successful and went through some hardships. Um, and then, um, we just felt because of COVID, it was a perfect time to do it, but it wasn't just to do it. It was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it right. I'm going to pay for the right equipment. We're going to take time sucking until we get good at it, which it took some time. And we spent a ton of money on this, um, the studio, um, to get there. And so we just matured and we'll continue to mature. This book's another piece. We'll probably feed back to the podcast and grow it that way. Um, yeah. And that's, again, we didn't do it for monetization, which I actually like because you don't have anybody to answer to except yourself. Just, I want to give you some information, you know, hope you have a good time listening to it. And that's now this is an extended piece. And then we want to take that um, book and see it. So it's getting to the speaking engagement. You know, where can we start building up and going to talk to people uh, um, about us or about, you know, uh, you know, finance. There's not a lot of couples out there doing what we're doing finance wise to go speak. So there's some avenues there for us. That's what we've been told. And that's what we're going to work on doing and see what we can do to go help some people out. Are you always looking at what's next from things that you're already doing? Like how you can um, elevate um, your presence out there or be able to kind of find that new passion project in what you're already doing? Yeah. I mean, like with the show, for example, it was, we didn't know where we'd be sitting in, I'd be sitting in the studio today at this point with real cameras and switchers and the whole thing. Right. And then it's like, okay, we need to build up a, a merchandise. We need to build up our, our video and our media, which, you know, we're working on. Now we have to make another adjustment because I had to remove episodes because of Cindy's audit. Right. So it's another challenge, but the, um, you know, you keep adding a, another piece. You could do a Patreon as an example. These are part show related, but the, the books started coming about it. Like we're ready, but then mm-hmm. we have a couple other books, right. Um, that, you know, she can go work on one on her own. Those are the, like the next pieces. We know this is like a two, three year thing, because if we want to go do this as a normal thing, then we, you know, you need to meet other goals. Like, well, I need enough money in my nest egg. Right. And, um, you know, we've invested very well in, in, in and didn't do it frugally, by the way. It's one of our episodes, the fire episode. You don't have to be a frugal fire person to go live a great life. But we had to work very hard and make money to be able to put ourselves in this spot. So you can't just go and do it. The small percentage of people ever make it in someone's way, hey, go out and do this thing and I'll teach you how to flip real estate or buy crypto or whatever. It's a small percentage who make it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's it's completely real when someone tells you how to do it or gives you a class or you pay for a class. Yeah, a lot of times it is right. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful at it. You usually have to work pretty hard in this world. And even if, even if you're an entrepreneur, you're working a lot. So if you title entrepreneur, like you're, especially if you're starting up, you're working a shitload of hours, dude. Even if you're working corporate job, like Cindy Knight, we're the corporate path, um, still working a lot of hours at points to get there. You're going to have to work to get there. So the number one thing I can say is, so you, while you're working to get there is you, A, you got to pay yourself back a little bit, enjoy your life. Like it's no fun to work to not enjoy time while you're doing it. If you have kids, make sure you build up good relationships with them because our kids like us and hang out with us. And we think that is really fantastic that they do, but you got to have your nest egg, man. Cause when you have money, you have options and you can go do other things. And 
that's what it's, it's allowing us to do is um, having the money to go flip over to a new career and keep that same lifestyle, but, but also having the eye and the prize of I, we just truly want to go help other people. So that is our next, there's always a next little thing. And so, you know, that's, you know, and I don't know what the next one is, but that's what we're doing now. So in five years from now, what it'll be exactly doing, I don't know. And if I'm just fishing on a beach somewhere, then <laughs> that's okay, you know, but it's hard. We don't sit still. And so there's always going to be something that we're doing. Looking back at your journey and your career or experiences, do you feel that you would change anything or do you feel that each step got to where you are today and you needed to go through each stage? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you only know that by going through it. No one knows that why they're doing it. They can say like this, hopefully this will be this or that way, but it's hard to think it that way, especially when it's not good. I mean, I was um, just shot like go 39 or so. And I, I decided to, um, you know, the financial crisis was crappy. So I got divorced in 06, but it was still bad for a couple of years. And then I decided, cause I was out in this um, pretty fairly remote area, uh, remote enough where it's quiet. There's no street lights, dirt roads off the lake. And I rented the house and I moved into my brother's for about brother's house for about five months, brought my son with me so I could play with his cousin. Um, cause they were close. And I lived in my brother's room getting my master's knocked out. And then I moved out in the middle of it and then, you know, kind of started over knowing that I was going to do that. And I'm like, I'm no prize at 40, but I actually made it. I didn't have to do that, but I made a conscious choice to do it. Knowing like in a way I'm taking three steps back to get how many steps forward later. Mm -hmm. And then I ran into Cindy not too long after that. And yeah, that's, that's probably my best example of, uh, of that. I remember even, um, even when I got divorced, when the, and the, my house value dropped and then there was no jobs anywhere, contract jobs, good luck. And um, I needed, they, the court forced me to refinance and like, I can't refinance without a job. So I actually bought an 800 number, have it forwarded to my phone. And then when they called the, the I acted like I was an HR for that company, just so I could say I had employment still to get my, my mortgage refinance, which is not advisable to anybody. I would never tell anybody to do that, but that's what you do sometimes when you're in situations where things aren't going well. And so was it, what I did was technically probably, I guess, I don't think I'd go to jail for it, but was that a legal thing? No. And uh, that's just what happens. It's funny what happens when you're painted into a corner, what you're going to do to get out. That's so true. It's kind of that like moment of how are you going to get out of it? Like, it's kind of like the real battle that you're about to face because if people are told or given everything and then now reality changes and now they have to go do everything, it's definitely a fun experience to see how some people have been doing it all their lives, but now someone who hasn't done it, how do they react to everything? And I think nowadays with, and I always say it with social media, where people that are living this luxury lifestyle, people are doing everything for them give them the reality check of them doing everything and see how they now handle it. Yeah. Well, the longer they go without facing adversity, the harder it is probably, probably for them to get through it or as fast. Um, that's just reality. That's what life gives you with experience. Um, and yeah, it is not all the same for everybody. Some people are silver spoons. Some people just, they just dodge the bullet. Yep. Um, but eventually something's going to happen. You cannot, there's going to be curveballs that you're not going to hit. Um, and you just have to live life like 
um, keeping yourself well prepared and um, always going to have a plan and you have to be able to handle things when they're bad. Like when someone goes through divorce as an example, like, and first of all, people bring their personal lives into their jobs. They do. I don't care who you are. Um, I'm pretty good about not doing it, but you know, you might not be in a good mood or if you have a boss, it can be a real pain in the neck because something's happening and you don't know what it is, but you know that their personality is as such. And so and let's say someone's going through that divorce. It's very, what happens is if you, you don't focus on the other things around you that matter, mm-hmm. or maybe you have a debilitating disease or something happens, right? Well, then you're, you're out, you're focusing on that. And then these other things crumble and it's very hard to manage both. But that is the key is you've got to keep the framework of the structure of that building intact while you're dealing with something maybe up top that could still crumble it later and um it's easier said than done and many many people don't handle it well or ever handle it they they just are people have problems and half the population has a chronic disease and half the the population gets divorced you know you could go on and on it's i don't want to be negative but um everybody has shit as we would say and you just, again, the, the more you can get through something, looking at it from the reality lens of life, that this is things that just happen and you got to get through not blaming others. And if something's faulted on you, upon you by somebody else, like, listen, you know, malice and forethought towards somebody is really not the right way to go about it. Even if someone deserves something, um, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, you know, you know, Cindy, Cindy got hit by a car, walk across the street three years ago and that changed our lives. Cindy was in the ER with COVID twice, you know, she could have died. I got diagnosed with cancer a month ago. Oh, and you know, I think I'm going to be okay, but, um, you don't know, man, you don't know. So that's like our new part of our, one of our chapters in life. Like, well, you know, I think I'm going to be okay, but it was, but I have it. It's not going away. And, you know, I got to deal with it. And, but for the last couple of months, it's been horrible. And like, last thing I want to do is, do anything related to my job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work. I don't want to talk to anybody. I can't even think about the crap I have to do. And, you know, that's life. And that's just the way it goes. And the older you get, more shit happens and more people die. And you have to be able to learn to face that. So it's your job to be as structured as possible as you can, as you possibly can. And just try to ride the waves through things because all you have when it's said and done is your health and memory. So if you're too busy you know, um, thinking too hard on something that doesn't really matter, that doesn't, it's not really constructive when you think about it is a superfluous, then just hang it up and don't, don't treat it so crazily and just let it go because then you're not giving yourself to create good memories. You're creating bad ones. So what does the future look like for you? What are you wanting to accomplish in the next few years personally and professionally? Uh, personally, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm more than ever focused on my health and wellness now. Um, I've always been pretty healthy though, but I probably will have to, uh, have to exercise a little more diligently, um, probably changing my diet a little bit more. Um, we definitely travel a fair amount, but COVID really screwed everybody up. So we're getting back to traveling a little bit more, seeing the world more, um, um, you know, just making sure that we enjoy our kids and watch, they're all in their early twenties, but watch them grow and help them out. And, and, uh, you know, we're not, I don't see, I don't see any marriages or grandkids for a while. So, um, you, you know, I think we're going to do some more things just to enjoy our lives too. Um, like we built this great space down here, for example. And so, you know, I, I, I got Cindy a keg and I bought a mirror exercise machine and I, I made my laundry into a kitchen and I did, I have a cool new space. That's something we did for ourselves. And, 
you know, we'll um, probably just continue to find new things to do. So we're going to take some cooking classes. We'll go do a painting class. You know, we'll get into some, I might just maybe learn sign language or, you know, build a shop out there to do some welding, you know, some other things. It's just, you have to keep your mind going, man. It's different when you're raising kids or you're busy in your career or whatever your situation is. I get it. But you have to have hobbies while you're doing it. And again, you have to treat yourself along the way. But when you get done with it, sitting, you know, watching Netflix or, you know, TikToking it is, you know, it's not, it's not healthy. It's not like you need to have purpose and keep your mind going. I think that's how, probably a good formula to living longer. Professionally, like, um, you know, we're just like, we've kind of been talking. It's just, we're going to um, continue to, you know, at least put some things on paper that we want to talk about and get out there and just talk and, 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 uh, and help people, whatever it may be. Um, you know, we're not a whiz bang kind of people. We're just going to get in the front and use, yeah, we'll have our little shtick and we're going to give you information. And I, I think we're marketable enough to do it. And so honestly, I don't know if we, if, and I think we can make some money at it, but if we don't, that's okay. That's not our purpose. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Uh, I would think the number one is, you know, be true to who you are. Um, a lot of people don't know themselves, but I think that's also a lie at the same time. Um, again, let's just say someone's not mentally nuts, you know, and I want to use nuts as an altruistic word in a bad way. So the reverse opposite, um, meaning, you know, if you're, are you doing things to help yourself mentally, whether, whether you have health problem or not, or depression or whatever, like, let's just say someone's got some sort of equilibrium. If you don't get there, okay, you got to take yourself healthy health-wise to your best ability. And if you've got as far as you can, okay, then keep an eye out for future things. Find yourself therapeutic ways to manage what you have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's an important thing because people, again, have all kinds of problems. So that's already debilitating people's uh, psyche to begin with. Um, And again, I apologize for the word nuts. I didn't mean it that way. Um, But that is, you have to do that. If you can't focus on yourself, you're not going to get anywhere for anybody else. You're no good for anybody else. So you have to be a little selfish and you have, and you have to, you have to do it. Um, but you should also say, all right, you know, what am I good at? And what am I not good at? And you know what those are. People always know what those are. So if you're not sure, go write it down. You know, it's okay to create a vision board or write down a piece of paper. What am I good and not good at? Okay. Okay. So if I want to change my career, maybe I want to go for this. Or what am I really interested in? Well, I, my career is cool or I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I want to, I want to go out and try this. I, I've always wanted to shoot arrows. Go shoot arrows then, man. Go look around and find things that keep you happy. And then, you know, also look up and also look about what other people are doing. What is in the world when you watch TV or see a show or see an example of something that was done well in the world? Because I think inherently people are good. So what do you see as an example? Can you do that? Can you, why not, or get inspired to go do something, you know, that when you help other people out or you do a charitable cause, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be monetary. You go do something that makes you feel good. You never walk away from the experience, feel bad. So you got to, again, so I don't get long winded. You got to take care of yourself physically and mentally the best way you can. You got to have goals. You got to have fun and you need always have a, a thing in there to give back. That you could be opening a door for an old lady. If it's that simple, then you've done something good for the day that that woman appreciated it. You made her day a little bit better. You told a funny joke, whatever it may be. 
But those little things actually help somebody's down a little bit. It's not that hard of a formula. You just can't get too intertwined with your inner self. Or again, you're just you're just losing days and you're going to look up and say, I can't believe I'm as old as I am now. And what do I have to show for it? Mm, yep. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, sir. Alex, it's been great, buddy. Uh, both of us being on here, we've, we've, uh, we really appreciate it. And, and, and you know, we, we like the fact that you're, you know, you bring people on to talk about things that, again, can inspire others. And again, this is kind of like what I was just saying, when you walk away from this, um, you never feel bad. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.